0: Timing on that. I'm glad Costco put them on, put them on uh, coupon. They're on coupon right. Now. If you need batteries, they're on coupon at Costco right now. Double A's. So we got a whole new pack of them. Thank goodness. Praise the Lord. Okay. So many of you know that I had attended Moody Bible Institute for undergraduate, um, and uh, one of the requirements of every student who attends Moody Bible Institute is they have to do practical. Christian ministry, or PCM for short, and you do PCM at least once a week. Everyone has a requirement that you do PCM once a week. And basically, all this is is you're being involved in some church's ministry or the kingdom of God in some way, shape, or form. My favorite year of practical Christian ministry was my last year, my senior year. I was a youth leader in my friend's youth ministry, so that was really, I actually had fun that year. You get to go out to a youth group and be part of that. That was a wonderful way to be able to serve at Practical Christian Ministry. And every time you got done with Practical Christian Ministry, you had 24 hours where you had to sign in online and report that you had done Practical Christian Ministry. And you had 24 hours to do that, and if you didn't do it within 24 hours, you were fined $5. And so certainly I paid $5 far more than I wish I would have. (laughs) This is before you could set up automated reminders in your phone. So I had to pay that several times, but you would fill in your report online, and there were two things that this report would ask. So online you'd have a field that would say number of gospel conversations, and then you'd put a number in there, and then you'd have number of people saved, and you'd put a number in there. And the, the field that you would input the number in allowed for two digits. So I had a friend who, in his rebellious and hilarious way, would put 99 every time because that was the maximum you could put in that field and so on paper and by statistics he was rocking it at PCM because every week he had ninety-nine gospel conversations and ninety-nine people got saved and I kinda I thought that was funny and that was very consistent with who he was as a person but I kinda thought it was funny too because it sort of pokes fun at this you know I mean in some ways I'm kinda uncomfortable with not necessarily the gospel conversations one but I'm kinda uncomfortable with this one Because salvation is God's work. I mean, God's the one who saves us, not students going out doing practical Christian ministry. I mean, you know, God called us before the foundations of the world, as Ephesians 1 says, and then He gave us the moment of regeneration where we actually came to faith, and now He's conforming us to His image, and then one day He'll give us resurrected bodies. And so I kind of love the phrase we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And all of that is God's work. And then, furthermore, I'm kind of uncomfortable with this question, because what about the people who aren't gifted evangelists? You know, what about the people who don't have this gift of being able to boldly proclaim the gospel that elicits a faith response? I mean, and I would certainly put myself in that category when I was a student at Moody. Like, I'm just... I'm just here and I'm just joining the work that God is already doing as a humble servant. I'm sent into his harvest field. I'm doing what he's called me to. And in being obedient to what he's called me to, I'm trusting that God will do his work of salvation. So what about the people who aren't super gifted evangelists? We're starting a new series today called Habits of a Disciple. And what we're really doing with this series is we are focusing on the first word in our mission statement, which is Grace 242 being, making, and multiplying disciples. And we want to be disciples of Jesus who follow in his footsteps, who apprentice ourselves to him. And this series is targeted at the type of lifestyle that someone who is a disciple of Jesus, someone who follows after Jesus lives. This series is going to survey five habits of people who live as a disciple of Jesus ought to live, people who cultivate practices in our lives that disciples of Jesus practice. And so we're really targeting that first word of being a disciple in our mission statement with this series Habits of a Disciple. Our scripture reading that Sonny read for us today comes from Colossians and Colossians is written from Rome by Paul who is under house arrest. This is near the end of his life. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's writing these letters to encourage the churches and he writes the letter of Colossians from house arrest in Rome to encourage them and to bolster them in their faith. Paul never actually had a chance to visit the church at Colossae. He did not found the church at Colossae. One of his ministry associates, Epaphrates, founded the church at Colossae. But he is, nonetheless, writing from house arrest to encourage them. And here's what he says in our scripture text today. In 4 verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Okay. Devote yourselves to prayer. Well, praying for what? And he answers in 3 and 4. Pray for us too." us meaning Paul and those, are in, those who are in ministry along with Paul, pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. So he asks the Colossians to pray for Paul as he's under house arrest, conducting his ministry, despite being under house arrest, And he's asking the Colossians, hey, would you pray that God would give me opportunities to boldly proclaim the message of Jesus as I'm interacting with these people in Rome, as I'm interacting under house arrest? Would you pray that I articulate the gospel of Jesus, the plan concerning Christ? I think he says in Colossians, the mystery of Christ, the the plan that God was going to save the world through his son Jesus. Would you pray that I articulate that plan boldly and clearly and winsomely as I undergo this house arrest, as I go throughout my daily life. Would you pray that I have bold opportunities? See, Paul sees himself as someone who has been gifted by the Holy Spirit with the gift of evangelism. And if you look in Ephesians 4.11, Paul kind of lays this out. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Pastors is sometimes called shepherds. So author Alan Hirsch likes to call this APEST ministry. APEST from the acronym of all these gifts that Paul is mentioning. So the apostles, of certainly which Paul sees him as a part, uh, the prophets, the evangelists, which also Paul identifies with, the shepherds, which are pastors, and then teachers. So we know Paul sees himself as an apostle, but in this text too, Paul is identifying himself with the evangelists. Well, who are the evangelists? Well, the evangelists are people who have been uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to boldly proclaim the message of Christ in a way that elicits a response of faith. So here's what author Ellen Hirsch says about the evangelists. He says, the evangelists are the carrier and the communicator of the gospel message, message, making clear the offer of salvation so that people might hear and respond in faith. This is how Paul sees himself, as someone who has been uniquely gifted to boldly proclaim that Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is God's plan for this world, to boldly declare that, but also in such a way that people respond in faith. Paul sees himself uniquely gifted in this way, and he says, pray for us, too, because he includes in that us his ministry associates who also have been uniquely gifted evangelistically. So this is Paul, this is Timothy, this is Epaphras, the founder of Colossians Church, all right, so he sees himself and his ministry associates as evangelists who have these opportunities to boldly proclaim that Christ is the Savior of the world. That's why he says, pray that God will give us these opportunities. So these are the opportunities for the evangelists, for the people who have been gifted, like Paul, to boldly make known the message of Christ. But there's also opportunities for the Colossian church. Look what he says in 4, verse 5. He says, live wisely amongst those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. So now he's presenting opportunities for the Colossian church. And what are those opportunities? Well, here he says in 5 and 6, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. What's the opportunity for the Colossian church? Gracious and attractive conversations. And within those conversations... Giving the right response about your faith. So the opportunities for the Colossian church are to hold gracious and attractive conversations, conversations that people uh, invite, conversations that take an interest in others, conversations that people enjoy being a part of, conversations that people are engaged in. And within those conversations, giving a response for your faith. That's the opportunity for the Colossian church. And where are the Colossians supposed to exercise these opportunities? Well, while they're living wisely amongst those who are not believers in their daily lives, going about their daily walk, living wisely, having conversations that are winsome, that are attractive, that are engaging, and then in those conversations, giving an answer for their faith. So here's what Paul's doing. Is I see him establishing two categories. Okay? The first category is a smaller category, within which Paul sees himself. And that category is the category of the evangelists. Again, these are people like Paul and Timothy and ministry leaders who have been uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to boldly proclaim the message of Christ in a way that elicits a response of faith. And that's the smaller category of the evangelists within which Paul identifies himself. But Then there's a larger category, and that is the evangelistic category. And everybody that is a believer in Jesus is in the evangelistic category. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are in the evangelistic category. And then Paul sees himself and his ministry associates as people within a smaller category that are people uniquely gifted to boldly proclaim the message of Jesus. So every believer is in this blue circle here. Everyone who believes in Jesus is tasked with living an evangelistic life our reformed theological tradition calls this the priesthood of all believers in other words everybody that believes in jesus is a priest everybody that believes in jesus is tasked with the job of seeing the gospel go forward seeing god's kingdom be built and seeing god's presence be brought into our own lives and the lives of others here's what eco essential tenets says so this is a document that is the basics of what we believe here in the evangelical covenant order of presbyterians and. And it's only five pages, which is pretty amazing for Presbyterians. And if you get the chance, it is an absolutely wonderful and amazing document if you want to read some theology. It's just phenomenal. You all should read it at some point. But here's a quote from The Essentials of What We Believe. It says, Every Christian is called to a prophetic life, proclaiming the good news to the world and enacting that good news. So everybody is to be evangelistic because we all are tasked with proclaiming the good news and enacting that good news in the world. But I know what some of you are saying right now. I can't do that. I don't have the gift of speech. I can't even, I forget what happened five minutes ago. I can't imagine stringing together some sort of sermon-like gospel presentation. And I, don't, I can't even imagine gathering a crowd to speak to. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Like get on the phone and call my friends. Would you like to come over to my house and come out to my deck? I bought some Edison bulbs, but I'm going to give a gospel presentation tonight. Would you like to come over for that? No. Call me when you're sane again. Kunk. Right? You know, like how would I even gather a crowd to speak to them, and I don't even have the gift of speaking. And you're not going to get me to go out there on the street corner, because that's crazy. I'm not doing that. And I feel this way too sometimes. Right? I felt this way at Moody. We had some people that did PCM and they would go into Cabrini Green, which was this ghetto area that was by Moody. It's kind of gentrified now, but back then it was a ghetto, and we'd had kids that go out at midnight. This wasn't very smart now that I think about it. Like we had young women that were going out at midnight. Like, okay. Well, anyway. So we had kids that would go out at midnight, you know, and they would like preach to like, you know. The people (laughs) that were out at night making money, if you know what I mean, right? In the ghetto. Like, oh, man. I mean, praise the Lord that they were willing to do that. But I'm like, oh, wow. That's like not for Bill Verveldi. Like, yikes. I'm just going to do my youth group thing and feel used there, you know. So what do you do? What do we do? Well, you know what? If you feel this way, I get it. I totally get it. And I think Paul knows that a lot of people feel this way which is why he gives us this message in Colossians and why he sets up these two categories because he says everybody is evangelistic. So how do you go about proclaiming the gospel to the world? Well, you have attractive conversations with people and within those conversations, you steer them toward Jesus and you have an answer for your faith when asked about it. And then within the evangelistic category is this smaller category for people like Paul who have the gift of Evangelism, boldly proclaiming the message of Christ in public contexts that elicits a faith response. I think he knows that not everybody is gifted this way, but everybody is gifted in a way that this can be done. Does that make sense? Everybody can have a conversation. Not everybody knows how to give a public address, you know, in such a way that elicits a, a, fa- a response of faith. And that's okay, because that's how the Holy Spirit designed us. So let me just, let me just maybe I, I can illustrate these two categories with my own life. I'll just use myself a, as an example here, okay? So first, let's illustrate the yellow category, okay? So let's illustrate the evangelist category. So what I'm doing right now, preaching, is sort of the work of an evangelist. It's very public, it's a bold proclamation, it's pointed toward Christ, and my hope would be that this would elicit within the hearer, some sort of response of faith, more obedient to Jesus if you don't believe, a, resp- a first-time belief, um, a, a, a response to be more faithful to Jesus, um, a response to fall in love with Jesus more. So this is, a very evan- uh, this is the work of an evangelist in many ways, being up here boldly proclaiming. But contrast that with what happened to me earlier this week. Well, last week now. I went to the lake. I brought my Bible with me. I wanted to spend time with the Lord, hearing him, praying, reading. So I go to my bench overlooking the lake. I'm sitting on my bench. Bible is open. And this biker drives drives by. And and he stops, and he rides back to me. And he says, hey, is that the Bible? I'm like, yeah? Why do you ask? He says, what's your favorite Bible verse in five seconds? Five, four, three. And I'm like, Romans 12, 2. And he's like, it's just the first one that came to my mind. And he's like, what does Romans twelve two say? And I'm like, ooh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yes, okay, okay. You know, he says, oh, that's, that's beautiful, he says. He said, yeah, I, I believe in God. I said, do you? He says, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't go to church. And I, you know, I don't really read my Bible. I said, well, what makes you believe in God? He says, well, I've had some hard times in my life, you know. And like God brought me through. I said, you're absolutely right. God's the only one who brings us through. And I said, say more about that. And he started talking. He said, well, he's staying at his dad's house. He lives in Madison, but he's been staying with his dad for the past eight weeks. His name was Steve. And he says, you know, uh, I'm happy to help my dad, but it drives me nuts. He's like, I'm a full-grown man, you know. I'm like, Dad, I'm a full-grown man. Stop treating me like a kid. You know, And then he told me that like there was one point in his life where his dad and him went no contact. And I said, I said you know what you're doing with your dad? I said, you are acting in grace. I said, because your dad doesn't deserve it, but you're there doing it anyway. He says, you really think he doesn't deserve it? I said, no, but you're there anyway. And I said, because grace has been shown to us in Jesus. I said, I don't deserve grace, but Jesus shows me grace anyway. And, you know, and so as we're going through this conversation, I'm asking him questions, he's responding, and I'm just listening to what he says, and whatever he says, I'm just thinking, okay, Holy Spirit, how do I point this at your son Jesus? How do I point this at your son? You know? and, and it was great. We just talked, and I'm pointing at Jesus. I felt no pressure to be like, oh, I've got to tell this guy that he's going to hell if he dies, and then he's got to respond to Jesus now, and he's got to take his offer of salvation, I've got to present you know, an opportunity. Like, it's like, I felt no pressure. All I felt was Ask this guy about his life. Listen. And whatever he says, just, whoop, point it at Christ. And you know what? It's going to be wrong theologically, and it's going to be messy, and that's okay. Because my job in this moment is just to simply be a representative of Jesus. Point him at Jesus. And I thought to myself, you know, you know what I did? I did not get an amplifier and a mic And go out here. I just brought my Bible to the lake. And this guy asked me about it. And when he asked. I had to give an answer. And boy did I have to give an answer. He had that five second countdown going. Oh man I got to give an answer. But all I did. Was bring my Bible. To the lake. And when the Lord opened up. A massive door. I ran through it. That's all I did. So that's evangelistic do you feel me here that's the work of someone who is evangelistic so the question becomes well how do we live evangelistically paul tells us in colossians 4 6 let your conversations be gracious and attractive and within those conversations have a response tell them why you believe what you believe point at the person you believe in which is jesus Author Mike Frost likes to call this live questionable lives. How do we live evangelistic lives? We live questionable lives. And I love that pun, right? We live questionable lives. We live lives that elicit questions from people. Apparently, sitting on the park bench with my Bible open was questionable to this man because he asked me about it. I did something that was questionable. This is how we live evangelistically. We live lives that people ask us about our lives. Like, hey, what do, you, what do you do on Sunday mornings? You know, well, I go to church. Well, what do you do at church? Like, I feel like church is so over-institutionalized. Why do you do that? Well, yeah, the church can be institutionalized, and yeah, that's just a f- failing of our fallen world, but I go because I just need to connect with my Savior every week. I mean, it just refuels me and gets me ready for the week. Oh, really? Some of you have told me that your neighborhoods have begun asking questions like how come people come to your house every Sunday morning? Like I see the cars lined up there. What's going on over there? Oh, we actually have kind of this house church thing. A house church? That sounds kind of weird. Yeah, it is. (laughs) But it's what we got right now. Uh, So we just kind of meet and and pray. And some of you have even had your neighbors over because they've begun. We'll We'll have donuts. We'll have some bagels. You know, our daughter can play with your daughter on the swing set out back. You want to come? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. I'll bring my daughter. Okay. That's great. You know, we live questionable lives. We live lives that elicit questions. Why do you give so much time volunteering when you don't even get paid for it? Why do you do all that stuff for your church? When you feel like you owe it to somebody and, and then they're just using you that way because they're not even paying you? It's like, well, well I volunteer because... I mean, it is to my church, but not because I want to make my church happy, but because I feel used and fulfilled by God. And it's service rendered unto God, not, not service rendered unto the church. It's, it's a response of thanks to what God has done for me. Oh, really? Well, what has your God done for you? He's done nothing for me. What's he done for you? Oh, well, he sticks by me, and he's been there through hard times with me. He's shown me the way. He sent his son, Jesus. Oh, really? Because I've had a really tough go lately. Oh, you've had a tough go. What's, what's troubling you? Oh, well, my marriage has been on the rocks, and I've had this. Oh, really? You know who helps me through that is Jesus. The only way I got to where I am is because of Jesus. Oh, really? I feel like my life is falling apart. You see how these things go? You just live questionable lives. People ask you a question, and when somebody asks you a question, it's like, that's a wide-open door. And you've got to run full bore through that door. It's like the God is just opening it up for you. got to be obedient. So this series, Habits of a Disciple, It's about living questionable lives. It's about practices of people who want to follow Jesus that are going to make people ask questions and say, why do you do that? Why are you with your church people all the time? Well, because I like most of them and and because (laughs) they remind me of who saved me, you know, and it's Jesus who brings us together. Five habits of people who want to follow Jesus that elicit questions to help us Live evangelistically. So there's a guy at First Presbyterian Usberg that says, give me marching orders, Bill. In your sermon, I want marching orders. I want to know what I have to do walking out of here. All right, so I have two marching orders for us today. The first marching order is pray for opportunities. This is what Paul says in Colossians 4, verse 2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray, pray that God would give you opportunities to have conversations that are gracious, attractive, take an interest in their life, and as you're listening to them, point them toward Jesus. Pray that God would open up opportunities for that. Here's what David Powell says in his commentary on Colossians. He says, to Paul, prayer is not simply an act of presenting one's personal wishes and desires to God. Rather, it is a way for believers to participate in the unfolding of God's redemptive plan in history. So prayer is not just this request line that we have to God. It's actually our participation. It's actually part of the way that we live evangelistically in the world, that we take part in what God is already doing in his world. Prayer is a way of participating in that. And we ask the Lord, God, give me chances. Give me an opportunity to talk to that coworker. You know, I feel like you've been placing this person on my heart. I feel like you've been drawing my attention to this neighbor who I know doesn't know you. And so, Lord, give me an opportunity to talk about Jesus somehow. I don't know if that's going to be like stopping our mowers one day just to connect over something or, or our, our kids playing together in the neighborhood or what. But, Lord, just give me a chance to point this person toward your son Jesus. Give me a chance to talk to that person that I sit by in my lunchroom at work. Give me a chance, God. So we pray for opportunities for ourselves as people tasked with the living evangelistically, but we also pray for opportunities for the evangelists. That's what Paul is asking for. He says, as an evangelist, as someone who's been entrusted with the proclamation of this message of Jesus, pray that I might find opportunities to boldly proclaim Christ as I'm under house arrest here in Rome. So we pray for ourselves for opportunities, and we pray for those who are evangelists so when you pray for your pastor when you pray for other Christian leaders you're praying for evangelists to do their work to boldly proclaim when you listen to a a podcast of someone who is a believer and uh, listen to other preachers online you're praying for them to have opportunities for bold proclamation and then you also pray for yourself God give me opportunities and then when God does give the opportunity so here's the thing is when you pray God to pray to God for the opportunity, he gives it. He makes good on that prayer. And when he does present that opportunity, then the hard part comes in because that's the second marching order. You've got to take that opportunity. You have to walk through that door. When God opens the way, you have to go through it. You have to have that conversation. In fact, Paul even says in Colossians 4-5, make the most of every opportunity you got to capitalize on that moment. How do you do that? By having gracious and attractive conversations and giving a response for your faith. You know, just, just think for a moment. What if I had gone to the lake with my Bible to be with the Lord, and then this guy had asked me about my Bible, but what if in that moment I was so stuck in my plan to like be with the Lord in prayer that I, like, communicated cold body language to this guy and just said, yeah, it's the Bible, and kind of, like, took my head down and showed no interest in his advances, right? Like, I would have missed the opportunity. Like, the Lord was just laying it before my feet, and what if I just kind of turned him away and was like, yeah, it's the Bible. I'm kind of busy right now, you know? Like, that'd be blowing it. But instead, it's like, oh, really? Yes, this is the Bible. Why do you ask? what's happening in your life? (laughs) I have all day for you. I don't even know you, but I have all day for you. (laughs) You know, you got to take him. I was thinking about this. There is nobody better and probably will be nobody better ever than 12 at 12 men on the field. I don't know how he does this, where he catches the defense trying to make a substitution and it's like he can get that offense to the line and get that ball snapped before they even have a tr- uh, an opportunity to swap a man out on the other side. It's like a game within the game. And I'm like, how does, he, he's try, you know, how does he coordinate all this that he can see? Defense is substituting to the line now. Boom, snap. 12 men on the field, free play. Let's take a shot downfield. You know, it's like this guy sees the opportunities. He sees them. And they're just these little moments in time. And he recognizes it, and then he capitalizes on it in a moment's notice. I feel like this is the same way it is with what Paul is asking us to do here as people that are supposed to live evangelistically. It's like there's these little moments in time, these little cracks, these little openings that God gives us, and it's like when they happen in the short moment, it's like we got to capitalize on that. Someone will say something simple as like, I'm having a really hard time in my life right now. It's like, that's a crack. Or someone will say, hey, you know, do you believe in God? It's like, that's a crack. You gotta go after that. Or, like, hey, ha, how do you find meaning in this life? That's a crack. You gotta go after that. We gotta capitalize on these opportunities. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 3:15 B. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Someone asks you, why do you go to church? Because oh, Jesus, do you believe in God? Yeah. And I believe God has shown us his son, Jesus. How do you deal with the hardship in your life? I can't, which is why the Bible says, God says, cast all your cares on me. And it seems like he could bear that load a lot better than I can. That's the only thing I got. What do you do when God's not listening? Yeah, I've been there too. eh? I trust. says he's listening. says he's everywhere. So I trust. That he's listening. These are moments that we got to capitalize on. Two marching orders pray for opportunities and then take those opportunities. I would want you to feel no pressure walking out of here today to get a mic and get an amplifier, get a whole bunch of tracks, go out to the street corner and witness. I would want you to feel no pressure to do that. Growing up, I didn't understand this. Growing up, I would see people do this, and I'm like, oh, I know I should be doing that, but I just don't know if I can do that. And now that I've studied the Bible, I'm like, no, not everybody should be doing that. Yeah. Some people should, yeah. Some people should, but we join God in the work he's already doing and the way he's called us to it. Can I just, ri- I just, can I just this is a little bit dangerous, but can I just rip on tracks for a second? The worst track, okay? Uh, this is one of the reasons why I don't like tracks, because it's kind of that bait-and-switch thing is uh, I was in line at Six Flags Great America. And I saw a guy in front of me, and he drops this paper on the ground as the line is moving along. So he's littering. <laughs> no, no, no. But so he drops his p- So I look at the paper, and it looks like a, like a $50 bill. So I pick up the $50 bill, I open it up, and you may have thought this was a $50 bill, but I have something even more valuable for you. And I'm going, this is not helping. This is not helping. Throw those in the solo stove. Throw those in the fire. You know, this is not happening. Like, just forget the tracks and just have a conversation, dude. Have a conversation. Like, just talk to me. You know, ask me instead. So, anyway, uh, I would want you to feel no pressure to do that. But I would want you to feel lots of urgency to have conversations. I would want you to feel lots of urgency. To pray and ask the Lord, who are you laying on my heart? Who do I have to talk to? How many times, I mean, I know I've blown it. I've known there have been times where I'm, I know the Holy Spirit is opening up a window for me, opening up an opportunity, and for whatever reason, I just let that pass. I'm too scared. I rationalize it away. I, let the moment pass. I mean, how many times I've had moments, too, where it's like the Holy Spirit is loudly saying, like, pray for this person, pray for this person. Pray for this person. And I just ignore it. I'm like, no, that would disrupt the flow. What, what, what? What flow? You know, like how much more meaningful for this person if you just pray over them? And I just kind of shut that voice down and then just let it go. And that's like, that's blowing it. You know, I would want you to feel lots of urgency. Who's in my life, Lord? Who's attract, you know, who have you brought into my circle of influence? I think you might be developing a person of peace in my life. There's somebody who I always find myself chatting to at this time of day, on this day of the week. How can I bring you into that conversation that I'm already going to have with that person? Or help me to see those that I've already overlooked in my life. As I go through the busyness of my life, is there someone that you're wanting to draw my attention to, but I've just overlooked them because I've been too busy with my own agenda? I would want you to feel lots of urgency around how do I have gracious and attractive conversations with people where I can give an answer for my faith. We should all be praying that prayer. How do we live evangelistic lives? We live questionable lives. We live lives that elicit questions. And we do this because this is what Jesus did. This is Jesus' MO. Jesus called a man named Levi or Matthew to be his disciple. Matthew was a tax collector. and Tax collectors are not the type of people that get to be asked to be pupils and students of rabbis. It's just not what happens. So Jesus invited Levi or Matthew to be his disciple, and this elicited questions. We'll pick up the narrative in Mark 2, 15 to 17. Later, Levi or Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Why is he hanging out with this riffraff? There were many kinds of people like this among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with this scum? Why are you eating with these lowlifes and these outcasts, these undesirables? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know They are sinners. He says, I hang out with these undesirables because they know they need healing. And they know they need a savior. And I came for people who know they need healing. For people who know they need a savior.